Hello and welcome back to the Scenario 7 podcast. My name is Sam and today I'm joined by someone that you haven't seen in a while, but I promise you is still part of this podcast. It's Josh Bacon. Josh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm sorry I have a life outside of F1. Oh, that's <laughs> a lot glad, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. Josh, you, you can't be you can't be saying this. You won't be back for another while after this because of that kind. That is that that hurts. But the reason we are here is for a Monaco Grand Prix review. We had the race. It finished a lot later than it was meant to, but it has finished at the Circuit de Monaco. Let's start on the Saturday with qualifying. What stood out to you as the key moments from qualifying? Um, definitely the red flag in uh, in Q1, which is which unnecessary, completely unnecessary. I think Sonoda like clipped the wall and some debris fell onto the track, and they just prematurely put out a red flag, which kind of ruined a lot of people's a lot of people's laps. But you know, nowadays if I like to be too cautious, then then the other way around because of previous events. But um, yeah, that was one of the bigger talking points. Of, the, of qualifying and then obviously Q2 and Q3 where Perez did a Leclerc from last season even though he wasn't on pole he still binned it so other people couldn't improve um, it was quite a weird crash actually he just lost the back end going into the tunnel and just spun around and then I wasn't sure with science who then came and hit him I wasn't sure if he saw the yellow flags or not but clearly it didn't um, went into him so yeah it was a an eventful qualifying, but still good because you get to watch the cars go at full speed around that track. It's just amazing. Yeah, it certainly is. Very strange, as you said, the red flag in Q1. The It was such a small piece of debris. There was so few debris on the track that a red flag, I don't know, was necessary. Just interesting. Another thing, Gas, that meant that Gasly was knocked out of Q1 in 17th continuing his very poor start to the season for his standards because he couldn't get round in time to put a lap in. Ricardo in Q2 only managing 14th, another person who has just had a very poor start to the season. And, yeah, the red flag with 30 seconds left with Perez securing P3 ahead of Verstappen. I thought that was the revenge he was going to get this weekend, but he got even sweeter revenge on the Sunday and of course, with Perez in third, Sainz was second, and Leclerc got his second pole in a row at Monaco, and all of them have been under red flags. <laughs> so I think this is the, I saw a stat, it's the third Monaco Grand Prix where um, Verstappen hasn't been able to put a final lap in because of like a red flag, which is quite unlucky for him, but is what it is. We then move on to Sunday, with the formation lap starting at, I think it was five past three after being delayed for a while, with the race control saying they were monitoring a downpour that was rapidly approaching the circuit. And as it arrived during the start procedure, the safety car start and its associated procedures were implemented. This was done for safety reasons in consideration that there'd been no wet running this weekend. So after that long statement, we then went out for two laps, realised it was too wet, red flagged it, came back in. Then when we finally went back out, we did have some racing. But Josh, 
what were your thoughts on the handling of the start of the race? It's a it's a bit interesting. I feel like ever since the, uh, the stuff that went on in Abu Dhabi, they've just been a bit too cautious and a bit too precarious about the, the way they go about things. Um, obviously, it's Monaco, and it's being talked about not being on the kind of next season. And it's we know how dangerous it is for drivers, uh, even in the dry, let alone the wet. And um, I can understand because the spray coming off the car, there'd be very very limited visibility around the track, but. It's just the way they took so long and went about it and just didn't really explain it enough, from in my opinion. Because um, I think we've had worse conditions in Monaco, possibly, where they have still raced. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a bit strange. I, I kind of think it was to do with the problems they were having as well with um, the power. Because I think they were having problems in the whole um, city of Monaco. There was problems with some sort of power in the area. So I thought they were delaying it also so that could get resolved as well, but that might be completely wrong. Um, but yeah, it was a bit strange in the way they handled it, especially how long it took for them to explain things and also just put things out to other teams. Yeah, it was, for me, I don't have anything wrong with the FIA prioritising safety. I'm pretty sure this is the only uh, track on the calendar which doesn't actually pass Monaco's or the FIA, sorry, safety thing, which doesn't really make sense because how the FIA allow it to be a race on the calendar if it doesn't pass the safety procedures. But if at the end of the day, the FIA who were there would probably know best than people who were sitting in their homes in England, like not, not in this bad weather, about whether the track was safe enough to race on. The big issue I have with the FIA is that from when they deem it safe enough to race and from when they actually start racing is way too big a gap. Like it takes so long for them to do anything from starting the race and then even calling a red flag. It's just like the gap between them deciding it and stuff actually coming into action takes way too long. And that's something they definitely need to improve on. But at the end of the day, Safety's come a long way. I'm not, you, they did what they thought was right. I've no problem with it. I'd rather them be safe than going out and then all of a sudden you have people with cars split in half, which you did actually have in the end, but not under these conditions. So I'm not going to fire too much criticism at the FIA, but they just need to up their game when it comes to making a decision and then implementing the decision. That's the problem with me. But when the race did get started, Josh, what were your thoughts on the race? Um, it's quite a weird start. I was expecting them to have a, um, a standing start instead of a rolling start. So I thought it was if they're dry enough to go out and race, why not go out there and actually start properly instead of behind a safety car? So that was a bit of a, a, a down to start with. But... Um, yeah, it was interesting, and and then I think it was a little bit of a parade until until um, Schumacher did what he did. Um, obviously, losing it, coming past the swimming pool. I don't understand how he lost it, but somehow his back end just went and completely did the 360, um, which then caused the red flag. But like you said earlier, in the way that they take so long to implement things, because it was a double yellow for a good lap and a half, then they brought out a safety car, and then the red flag came out. 
So instead of just going straight for the red flag after the incident, which everyone would have thought happened, even the commentators, because of how severe the crash was or looked like. Um, yeah, it just needs to improve on that, like you said. Um, but after that, it was, it was actually quite interesting because it bunched everyone up, except for P7 below Woods, where Alonso was just, died really just looking after his tyres, just completely backed everyone up, having like a 30 second gap between him and Norris and sixth. I think, and then almost the, the top four were pretty much together the whole time. They caught up to that pack pretty much. And um, yeah, it was a bit, a bit weird, but um, it was quite funny to watch and it gave us some sort of entertainment for a Monaco race. Um, but even to the start, uh, risking it between wets and inters, and at one point we had all three types of tyres out, where there was wets, inters and hards. And um, at one point I thought Gasly was going to come flying up the field, um, but then everyone else started copying him and moving on. Um, that was quite a, a weird period, a period of, the, of the race. Because loads of people were, were didn't know whether to stay on the wets and go straight to slicks or go from wets to inches to slicks. So um, yeah, it was a for a Monaco race. I thought it was quite entertaining, it, not in regards of like overtakes, but in regards of strategies, weather. You had it all. So um, I was quite pleased with the race in the end. Yeah, I think that's the problem for a Monaco race. <laughs> that was quite entertaining. The fact that this track, you've just got to expect it to be bad and anything like over than that then you're then you're pretty happy at the end of the day i understand why they had a rolling start at the start i don't they should have had a standing start after the schumacher red flag because that was dry enough easily to have a standing start. So that was a bit bizarre and as you said you had this massive schumacher crash the barrier was decimated his car was split in half and you have a first double wave yellows, and then it's a VSC, and then it's full safety car, and then it's red flag. And it's like, it was so clear that they were going to have to fix the barrier. Just red flag it straight away. So you're not wasting time just having a parade, which is pretty much what Monaco is anyway. But yeah, it was it was fairly interesting. There was some differential in terms of strategy that worked for some and not for others i'm looking at you ferrari who completely bottled it and the race winner deserved it and to be honest i think i enjoyed the race a lot more looking back to know who won the race so that's just my opinion but yeah it was it was all right with one year left on the calendar monaco put on an all right show i mean before we move on do we stay here, Josh? Do you think we should stay at Monaco? I mean, this is the end of its contract. Is the fact that it's iconic enough to warrant that it's really boring? Yeah, the, the icon status does help out a bit just because I think you watch Monaco for Saturday for qualifying, watching the cars go full out around this track, literally kissing the wall as they go around each corner. I think that's the main reason you have have Monaco on the calendar but I don't think that's enough for me to for it to be on the calendar because it is a parade on Sunday pretty much whoever get where the order is on Saturday that will be the order on Sunday except for situations where weather changes and stuff like that but um, it's it's an interesting one because it's so iconic it's been I think it's been there since the start possibly I'm not, not sure if it has but it's been around so long It'll be weird to not have it on the calendar, but then you can also understand why it wouldn't be on the calendar. 
um, because of how dull the races can be. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, this is pretty much half the driver's home race because over half the drivers live in Monaco. And, yeah, it's probably going to stay. I enjoy the fact that there's some continuity with the track. I mean, it'd be nice if they could just make parts of it more interesting without taking away its icon status, but... We'll have to see what happens, to be honest. I don't think I would be too disappointed either way if they got rid of it or if they kept it. I'm just like, this track does frustrate me. But moving on to the incident report, and only one talking point really that has actually been decided, and that is Esteban Ocon on lap 17, turning into Hamilton at turn one. Ocon got a five-second penalty. Josh Fair? Yeah, I think it was completely fair. You could see on the camera that Lewis was at least, he had two-thirds of the car pretty much side-by-side side, um, with Ocon going into going into the Turn 1. Um, I don't really know where Ocon, maybe he didn't see him, but maybe, I don't know why he decided to turn in. Because um, you saw the collision and you saw that Lewis had to back out. So, yeah, I think the five-second was completely deserved. Yeah, I am going to agree with you. Ocon just had no awareness about where Hamilton was and just cut him up really like turned into the corner so sharply when Hamilton was there it didn't luckily for Hamilton it didn't really affect him too badly because he had very minor front wing damage then on lap 22 Magnussen retired with a mechanical issue not that anyone realized for a while because the TV directors couldn't be bothered to show it that's just what the TV directors have been like all that season then on lap 26 we had Mick Schumacher losing his back end and hitting a wall at turn 15, splitting his car in half and causing eventually a red flag to repair the barrier. Schumacher is just, I'm glad he's okay, first of all, because that was a, like when they panned to that and no one had had the context of it, that looks like a really bad crash with, with half his car was, a different part of the track. So it's good that he's okay. But because he's okay, you know, we can criticise him. He has been rubbish this season. He really needs to improve. Because at the end of the day, he's back, he's, maybe there's a reason in the car. Maybe it was the car's fault. But he's lost his back end at a point. He really shouldn't be losing his back end. I know the conditions were uh, kind of... Yeah, they were not the best, but it cleared up an awful lot. And at the end of the day, if you're racing an F1, you should really be able to do better. But yeah, he is just frustrating me this year because he's just been poor, and it's a shame, really. We also had Albon. He got a five-second penalty for exceeding track limits on multiple occasions. I couldn't tell you when he got given it, but he did at some point. And then on lap 52... Albon DNF'd with a mechanical issue. His race was rubbish. He got a five-second penalty when he was dead last, so it didn't really matter. It's like being in a swimming pool and it raining. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm wet already. And then Verstappen and Perez are currently under an investigation as we're doing this podcast for crossing the yellow line on pit exit. Josh, do you think anything will come from that? Uh, I haven't seen the footage of Perez, so I, I can't comment on his pit exit, but I have seen footage of Verstappen's. And I think from the camera angle that I've seen, there is clear evidence that his front left tyre and possibly his, his rear uh, crossed 
the uh, the yellow line before the pit exit ended because I think you can if you look on the on the track when it turned when it turns around to turn one there's a white line where the pit lane uh, exits or finishes and um, you could see that um, his tire was over the yellow line before that white line had ended um, so you, I think that there could be some some sort of some form of punishment to, to Max about that. Um, but not sure about Perez because I haven't seen his incident. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, who knows what happens with Perez? He could have just like not even been on the right side of the track and we wouldn't have known. He could have gone for a swim mid race and we wouldn't have known at that point because the TV directors couldn't really be bothered to show it. But yeah, there's definitely a case for Verstappen. It's he has got over the line, so it'll be interesting if the FIA are harsh on that or if they let him off with a slap on the wrist. With the FIA and their decisions last year with Verstappen, we'll see if there's any changes to how lenient they're going to be with them. Let's go to our team-by-team breakdown, starting with Red Bull, getting a total 40 points this weekend, consolidating their place at the top of the constructors. In Max Verstappen starting in fourth and finishing third, and Checo Perez, from third to first. Josh, talk to me about Red Bull's weekend. It's probably uh, not quite the best, obviously, because Verstappen came third, but one of the better weekends they had, they've had this season. They gained 10 points on um, on Ferrari as they got 30. So um, that in terms of points, it's been a very good weekend. Um, but obviously, they've had a few mistakes with Perez building it and qualifying and Max then not getting the chance to... Uh, so then put it on pole. It might not have in the first place, but it didn't get the chance to do it. Um, but then the race, um, it just, they, I think they got slightly lucky with the way Ferrari's strategy team just pretty much handed it to, handed it to Red Bull. Um, but they still had the pace. They, they were keeping up with the, uh, with the Ferraris um, and they were also staying up ahead of them. So um, yeah, it was, it was, a good weekend overall, but obviously they wanted, could have wanted better with Verstappen coming second and probably for Christian Horner, he probably wanted to swap the drivers if he could, but they couldn't. So uh, we'll, we'll move on and just forget about that. Yeah, that is definitely true. Sergio Perez just had a fantastic race. I'm so gassed. He is now the most successful F1 driver in history in terms of race wins, which is awesome we we did have the qualifying antics which exactly did go exactly to plan but in monaco the overcut is just so powerful and that's been shown so many times even last year when you look at hamilton aston martin performed the overcut to get better in front so it was we're going to talk to about ferrari in a set but red bull did have to note uh, did have to play that out and wait for them to pit and they did play out to perfection and going into this weekend I had no clue I just didn't think Perez was gonna win I didn't have him in my top three going into the predictions and to come up with a win at Monaco where he's never even finished on the podium oh perfect and he's he I've said it a few times don't count him out of this title fight he is well and truly in it he has been so unlucky this season with a few incidents that have just not gone his way. I'm thinking DNFs, I'm thinking in Miami he, would, he had a problem so he couldn't 
threatened signs or Leclerc. I'm thinking in Saudi Arabia, he pit and then there was a red flag. So his pole position went to waste. He's been very unlucky and he's still very close. He's within, I think, 20 odd points. Yeah, less than 20 points to Verstappen, which just shows how well he's doing. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to think there's a title fight on there. I'm probably being optimistic, but I'd like to think he's well and truly in it. But let's move on to Ferrari, who had uh, probably the opposite. First and second in qualifying with Leclerc on pole and fourth and second in the race. I mean, at least Leclerc finished, I guess. What do you make of their weekend? It's a bit of what could have been sort of weekend for Ferrari, if you put it into words. Yes, it's great that Leclerc has finally finished a, a full race around. Well, actually, it wasn't even a full race, but he's finished a race around Monaco. Uh, so that's a that's some sort of positive. But then the way that he's he's finished, falling from P, uh, pole position to P4, it wasn't his fault at all. I, you can only feel sorry for him because it was when um, Science came into pit. Uh, I think it was for was it. During the safety car, I think, or something like that. I can't mm. remember. Um, but science came in to change his tyres, and on the radio to Leclerc, his engineer said, box, box. And then as he came in, he was like, stay out. Um, and then he just had to wait slightly for science to finish changing his tyres before he could change his. Um, he was very, very annoyed in the radio, as you would be. Um, but yeah, it's a, just a, a weekend of what could have been, especially for, for science, because he, had, he was showing some good pace during the race, but he just couldn't find um, the right gap to get past Perez. But we all know how good Perez is at defending anyway, so um, we all know it's going to be a challenge. But I reckon if it was another track and it was the same position and there was more space, Science would have definitely got past Perez. But because it was Monaco and how good Perez is at defending, he just couldn't do it. His win will come. He's getting there. He's had a, quite a few second places this season. Um, but yeah, just it's just a, a weekend to forget and move on to the next race. Yeah, a weekend to, predict, uh, to forget is certainly the way I'd describe it. I wouldn't be surprised if Charles Leclerc was throwing hands in the post-race debrief because they royally messed up his race. Just his race engineer, like that, the telling him to box and then the stay out, stay out, stay out, and... How many times have we heard that with different teams? It's going to be put, it's going to be the next one put on a compilation of gaffes with um, race engineers. Yeah, it was a massive mistake. Double stacking Leclerc and Science for no reason. It gave Red Bull massive advantage. And yeah, Carlos Signs, any other track, he probably gets past him. Perez could be the best defensive driver on the grid and still any other race he gets past him. But at the end of the day, it's Monaco. You can't really overtake unless someone else is in the pits. So, oh, unless you're Pierre Gasly, to be fair. I think he got like one or two, maybe. Again, not many, but yeah, it was a nightmare weekend for Ferrari. Or nightmare Sunday, at least. Their Saturday was pretty good. Their Sunday was awful, and it's just down to strategy. The drivers did the best they could with what they had, and Unfortunately, strategy let them down, and that's not the first time Ferrari have made a gaffe like that over the years. Now let's move on to Mercedes, who 
I look at the constructors' table. They're still kind of if they can get their car firing, they're still kind of in a fight for the constructors. If they can get their car firing, that is. You have George Russell who started sixth, finishing fifth, which continues his run as the only driver on the grid to finish in the top five every race. I mean, I can't believe I'm still saying that. He has done an immense job there. And then Hamilton is the most unlucky driver on the grid, bar maybe Zhou Guan Yu, starting eighth, finishing eighth. He couldn't get a lap in and qualifying to get higher than eighth. And then <laughs> to finish eighth, he just got stuck behind Alonso who just parked his car because he's very bitter against Hamilton, it seems like. But yeah, 14 points this weekend. How would you assess the Mercedes team? Yeah, you pretty much summed up most of it there. But it's just, the, the car is slowly getting there. You can see from today they had pace in that car, as you can see from Russell. It wasn't quite enough to keep up in the top four, but it was still enough pace as if, if, if Hamilton had managed to get past Alonso, I reckon he would have managed to fight for Russell and at least finish above above, above Nando, um, which I'm glad didn't happen, but it, I think it would have happened if he got past Alonso. Um, so, yeah, the, the car's getting there. They're definitely finding improvements, but the fact that George has managed to, don't know, don't know how he's doing it, but put that car where he has done every race in the top five, even when it was a dodgy car, even the likes of Lewis Hamilton isn't isn't doing that. Yes, he has had bad luck. It's probably about time he's had some bad luck because he's been quite he's had quite a lot of luck in the last few seasons. But um, George is is driving everything in that car. He's just doing driving the best. He's proving why he was uh, uh, chosen to get that seat. And um, I think he'll continue because uh, the car will get better. He'll get better, and they'll start challenging for more podiums soon, hopefully. Yeah, it would be nice to have a three-horse race for the constructors. That would be pretty nice. But yeah, Russell, fantastic. And Hamilton, I'm a big believer that luck will balance out over a season. So he's going to get a lot of luck towards the end of the season because he has had none at the start. But at the end of the day, decent points for a team that have been pretty inconsistent recently. Now on to your team, the team you're repping McLaren and yeah it seems to be the same person getting the only points every weekend doesn't it Josh Norris from fifth to sixth with the fastest lap to be fair did get fastest lap securing nine points from McLaren and Ricardo has had the same race he's had all year where the directors don't even show him because he's not doing anything starting 14th finishing 13th that probably wasn't an overtake it was just probably time DNFing or pitting so how do you look at McLaren I mean surely it is one fantastic the other probably should retire yeah we're a we're a one-man team right now <laughs> to be honest our second driver is is continuing his woes from his first season with, with McLaren and I, I don't know maybe he's lost his touch I don't know but he, he just can't seem to get going with the car which is a shame because we all know how good of a driver Ricardo can be, but um, he's just not showing it in this car. And yes, we've we've heard the the rumours of him maybe getting moved on or retiring, but um, who knows if they're actually true or not? But um, it wouldn't bother me if he goes, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, Lando, 
we know we all know what what a driver is. If he had a car, or if McLaren gave him a car where he could compete at the top, we he would have won a race by now. Um, I was hoping for because it was wet. I was hoping because I know how good of a wet driver he is. I was hoping he'd be able to compete at the front, um, but it wasn't to be. But he still did really well to, to pit because of the gap Alonso had and to only finish, uh, what was it, two temps behind behind uh, George at the end. Thought he was going to get in, um, but the, the timer had to run out. Um, yeah, it just shows how he can, how good he is, especially if he's still not 100%. He's still uh, feeling the effects of Tom's Lighters from last week. I know he's putting in performances like that. Um, so there's only only upwards for, for him. Hopefully it's upwards for Ricardo as well, because he can't get any worse. Well, fingers crossed, can't get any worse. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those seasons where they're a bit up and down on, on both sides of the garage. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's getting to a point where I would like to see someone else get in that McLaren and see if they could do anything with that second seat, because Ricardo is really struggling and he's one of the most likable drivers on the grid and he's one of the most talented. He just can't get anything out of his car. And it's so strange to see this. There's rumors that McLaren are not going to see out his contract and have an option to terminate it. There's people like Piastri, Horta from IndyCar potentially being lined up. We'll have to see what happens, but he has to improve because his seat is in jeopardy right now. And then, yeah, Lando Norris just did really well again. Not really much to say on him. Alfa Romeo now, the team below McLaren, got two points this weekend, all from one driver. Valtteri Bottas, 12th to 9th. And Zhou Guanyu from 20th to 16th. Only 16th, but the best save of the weekend. He he almost just binned it and took... I think it was Gasly out with him, but amazing save. Alfa Romeo, how do you look at their weekend? I have no idea how he saved that, but it was so impressive. The way it was actually it was lucky it was where it was as well, because he had he could was able to, to drive straight forward instead of there being a wall. Um, but I think for, for Joe, even though he, he was officially last out of everyone, I think it was still good for him because he's the rookie, but his first time doing Monaco in an F1 car. Um, so obviously he was going to struggle but I, I still think for him he, it was still probably a good race for him because he, he was looking competitive he was trying to get past the, the man Latifi um, <laughs> quite often um, but obviously he couldn't because of how small Monaco is um, but yeah with Bottas it was just the, the fact of getting stuck in that train that Alonso was holding up not being able to get higher not being anyone behind him trying to get overtaken um, so yeah, it was uh, one of those weekends where wherever you qualified was where you're going to stay, and that was how it happened for Alfa Romeo this weekend. Yeah, well, to be fair with Bottas, starting twelfth and finishing ninth, he's rescued some decent points. And then with the Joe, he wasn't dead lost. Sonoda did finish behind him in seventeenth, so he's just been really unlucky. There was not much he could do to be honest, qualifying twentieth. But I'm pretty sure it was a case of he couldn't get round in qualifying after the red flag to do another lap. So again, really unlucky. Him and Hamilton are battling out for the most unlucky driver of the season award. And Joe, I think, is pipping him so far. But 16th, yeah, is what it is, I guess. 
Alpine next, and Esteban Ocon starting 10th, finishing 12th after his five-second penalty for collision with Hamilton, and Alonso uh, starting 7th, finishing 7th, and being the best defensive driver ever, basically going 20 miles an hour and still keeping everyone behind him. How do you reflect on Alpine? Alonso was a right nuisance all race. He was like overly looking after his his tyres, like to the absolute extreme, um, because it just held back everyone, just frustrating them and backing Lewis into everyone else. I think at one point it was 40 seconds between Alonso and the next car in front of him. Um, I think it ended 36 or something like that as well. So it was just, I don't know, it was strange. I don't know if, if you wanted to go so slowly or not do that, why don't you just stay on the hards and then you could have at least been competitive um, with the cars in front of him. But they had a strategy and it worked for Alonso, but that strategy, unfortunately, didn't help Ocon because of the fast second penalty he got. Because um, he was 10th, like you said, or was he 9th? I think he was 9th. Um, at the at the time, and then obviously the fast second penalty dropped him outside of the points because there was, everyone was backed up because of his teammate. Um, so yeah, um, a weird weekend I'd say for the Alpines, just in terms of the strategy. If it was their call from Alonso, uh, it was weird. I, I don't know whose uh, reason it was, but it was a strange call. Um, but then, I'm sure they're happy they got some points in the end. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, they did, Alonso did end up ruining Ocon because Ocon did finish outside the points despite finishing ninth, which was weird. But I think the way they looked at it was that, right, we have Bottas behind us. He's going to get two points and Alonso being the only one finishing the points is going to get six if it stays like this. So they're gaining four points on uh, competitors for the constructors so I think they just saw it as a best case situation because Hamilton was hunting him down so I guess that was the strategy it was still a bit weird I thought that Alonso just holding everyone up was a bit strange but at the end of the day they've gained points on their competitors Alfa Romeo and they only got three less points than McLaren so it's decent points for Alpine who are looking to be a solid midfield team again Alpha Tauri, however, had a really weird weekend because they had Yuki Tsunoda starting 11th, finishing 17th, and then they had Gasly starting 17th and finishing 11th. So it was just a complete swap. But what do you even say about Alpha Tauri? It was just quite strange. Yeah, there isn't much to say. It's just sort of qualifying a weird decision of. Gasly's teammates and over the course the red flag, which shouldn't have been a red flag, which meant Gasly couldn't get out of Q1. And then Sonoda almost getting into Q3, to be fair, was quite close, um, which is unlucky, but um, obviously didn't make it in the end. But then obviously comes to the race weekend and slow starts, taking forever to get going. And obviously the confusion of where to stay on West, going into and that sort of stuff. At one point, Gasly, I thought it was just going to start going flying up the field. Um, but then it started drying out. Everyone, everyone else started pitting. And then um, he just started stopped making progression and then got caught in the Alonso train, which doesn't help anyone. Um, but then Sonoda, so I think he struggled on Sunday because he had a, a few mistakes going into Sandovok or turn one as it is, just going straight on and, and not 
bothering to turn right. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so it was just a, a, a strange weekend again, like it was for many teams, but also a weekend to forget with no points. Yeah, I did swap Sonoda into my fantasy team this weekend, which off the face of it isn't good because he finished 17th, but I swapped him in for Magnuson who DNF'd. So that's a few extra points. So I'm happy with that. Gasly had a great, as good a race as he could do, to be honest, from 17th to 11th at Monaco is a mighty good job. However, he's still, for me, him, Ricardo, and Schumacher have had the most disappointing seasons because they've just been really poor and they've been outperformed by drivers who are, I mean, especially in Ricardo and Gasly's case, you know, these two experienced drivers, they've been outperformed by people that you wouldn't expect them to be outperformed by. But maybe this is a step in the right direction because Gasly showed pace all weekend from uh, from practice sessions to early in qualifying before he got knocked out and then in the race. So hopefully this is a step in the right direction for him. And then as a whole, Alpha Tower, no points. Uh, Gasly almost rescued it, but couldn't quite. And Snowed had a bit of a miserable race. Now on to Haas, who probably had the most miserable race out of anyone, or as a team anyway, had the most just... They were rubbish. They both of the cars DNF. Not much they could do in Magnuson, I guess. Mechanical failure from 13th and Schumacher 15th to the wall um, at turn 15. How do you reflect on Hash this weekend? What can you really say? There isn't really much to say. They just they didn't look competitive from the get-go. Um, I think to be fair, where they qualified was not too bad for how I think how slow the car looked around Monaco. Um, but then obviously bad luck with Magnussen. We all know how good of a driver he is, but just bad luck from the mechanical side. And then it's just the inexperience of Schumacher showing and him bringing in the mistakes that he's, you don't want to make as a driver, um, especially around that corner, which just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I'm sure he'll get there. He'll, he'll improve every time he steps into that car. Um, hopefully. Um, but yeah, there's not really much else you can say about Haas this weekend. Yeah, I did see Gunter Steiner talking to Antonio Giovinazzi. So I'm not going to start spreading rumours, but uh, let me let me say that uh, Giovinazzi should maybe get his uh, a seat moulded uh, into that Haas car because Schumacher has been disappointed. But on a real, he has to be given time. I know it's his second season, but it's pretty much his first season, bear in mind, where that car was last year. So I guess he needs to be given time. Hopefully he improves as the season goes on because he's been rubbish so far and he has to start. Getting- he's almost got a lot of points in a few races. He hasn't been that bad. He's come close but just fallen short. So he's getting there, but give him some time. Yeah, but when you consider the fact that Magnussen has 15 points and he's in the exact same car as him, and Schumacher's yet to get any points, even when he's had great opportunities too. The problem with Haas is they rely, they're so reliant on Magnussen when he does something stupid, which he, Magnussen's a great driver, but he's so prone to doing something stupid where he'll 
DNF or he'll finish lower down in the order because he's got damage or something. They need their second driver to pick up points or pick up a result. Schumacher so far hasn't done that, but hopefully as the season goes on, he'll be able to. And then we move on to Aston Martin, who did actually get a point this weekend. Sebastian Vettel starting ninth, finishing 10th, and a Lance Stroll 18th to 14th. He hit a wall on the pretty much the formation lap under safety car at one point, which was the only time that Stroll was ever really shown, I think. But Vettel, great points. Yeah, it's a successful race finally, or again for uh, for Aston Martin. It's a shame that they're only fighting for such low points, but um, the car's just not good enough. Um, and they've also got one dodgy driver <laughs> in Lance Stroll, who I, in my opinion, I don't think he should be there, but it's just because of the Bad. But we can move on from that. We can move on from that. Um, yeah, it is. They, they were good to get the point. Vettel showed his experience, especially around Monaco. Even to put his car in ninth for qualifying was a um, massive achievement because that car hasn't just doesn't have any pace this season, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was just another on the other side. It was a typical stroll, being stroll, um, silly mistakes, not gaining anything, um, looking like the, the bang average driver that he is. Um, as you can tell, I don't really like Stroll, but you know, you've got, you've got to not like someone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> with, with Vettel, they can be pleased for him and to at least come away with a point from Monaco. Yeah, you've heard it at first. You've got to not like someone. I, Paul Stroll, I'll come to his defence a bit. He finished 14th, which is fine. He, I don't know if he was one of the people affected by the red flag in qualifying or he's just not very good in that car because at the end of the day, Vettel did put his car ninth and Stroll put in 18th. So let's defend him and pretend that the red flag affected him. That's always been Stroll's problem. His race pace is actually all right. He's just not very good in qualifying. He's kind of a similar mould to Giovinazzi in the Alfa Romeo, apart from Giovinazzi's. Potentially better. They're similar in that fact that, yeah, they're not very good qualifying good in the race. But, yeah, Vettel, decent, got some points or got one point. So that's quite good for Aston Martin. They're pulling away from Williams kind of very slowly <laughs> by, getting, by one point at a time. And, well, I mentioned Williams. Let's go on to them. Albon 16th to five-second penalty for going over a chicane loads of times and then DNFing and then Latifi 19th to 15th way he, he two weeks in a row he's beaten Albon so you, you can't argue with the facts he deserves to be here even though he did go like Stroll straight into a wall on under safety car which it, it was it was the treacherous conditions uh what did you make of Williams this weekend I was I was going to mention that as I was in it just showed it was going to be a, a bad Sunday just from the fact it was the four, the two formation nuts before the race even started and he just bends it straight into the hairpin, doesn't even bother turning left around the hairpin, just goes straight into the wall. You just knew from then on and in it was just going to be a, a terrible weekend for them. But to be fair, on Albon's side, um, even though he was last for the majority of the race, but he, he had decent pace. I think, because he hadn't passed it up at one point. That might have been because Alonso was backing everyone up. But he, he caught them up, fair play to him, but then retired. So it does show where the Williams are at right now. They're just there. I think they're just there for a laugh, to be honest, because 
the TP crashes every race. Albon shows he has some pace, but then doesn't do anything with it. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was it was interesting from from Williams. They've definitely got to find some improvements pretty quickly, um, and possibly another driver. But um, yeah, it was it was just a, a bit of a laugh to be honest. <laughs> Gosh, there's such a thing about Canadians. I don't know what this is. It's an agenda against the whole country. You can't, can't say, you can't defend Albon being last for the whole race and getting fastest lap because no one was near him and then DNFing and getting a five-second penalty for exceeding track limits over and over again and then criticise Latifi because, yes, he did hit a wall in the formation lap, but at least he finished the race and... On track, he wasn't last. There were people that finished behind him. So you, uh, that's harsh on Latifi. I'm not saying he had a sparkling race, but he at least finished. An album was rubbish. So all you can do, the, the saying is, all you can do in a bad car is beat your teammate. Latifi's beaten his teammate two weeks in a row. They're the facts. Latifi is more better than album. You've heard it here first. That might, might, it must be true. But let's move on from this and talk about our driver of the day. For some reason, I don't think Josh is going to be picking one of the Canadians. But Josh, who have you gone for? I've gone for Stroll. Yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, there's only really two contenders here, to be honest. And one of them isn't really a contender in the first place. But you chose the other one, so I've got to choose someone else. Um, and that was Alonso, just for his, his masterclass in his uh, backing everyone up and just slowing everyone down, keeping them behind him and securing his P7 for the team and ruining his teammates' race. So uh, I'm just going to go with Alonso just because of the entertainment that he brought to the, to the race. Because um, luckily, if it wasn't for him, Lando wouldn't have got six, to be honest. So I'll, I'm going to save my driver today just because he helped my favourite driver, secure a decent points race. Yeah, it was interesting from Alonso. It reminded me, it's so weird, but it reminded me at like Wembley Stadium when you're trying to get out the ground and then you have these people just stopping you before you go under the tunnel to get to the station. That's such a niche reference for no one who has any idea what we're talking about. But he, he was just basically a chokehold in the track. No one could get past him. He was just kind of there. His car was just so wide around a really narrow track that you can't overtake anyway. But yeah, fair enough. I think he's, I guess he's a contender, but my driver of the day, I think deserved it because he did win the actual driver of the day. Where is it? There it is. Uh, he did win the actual driver of the day and understandably because he won the race, Sergio Perez third to first. And I'm not going to be like he did some miraculous defending and won the race because he just kind of drove in a straight line around Monaco, uh, which, well, that doesn't make sense. You can't really drive around, driving a straight line around a track that has corners, but he just kind of drove in the middle of the track around Monaco and no one could overtake him because you can't overtake here. But at the end of the day, their strategy was better. It meant that Perez won the race. I'm really happy. He's now the most successful Mexico, Mexican driver of all time. He's well in this title fight. He's much better than every other driver on this grid. He's going to win the world championship. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the best day ever. It's 
uh, I, the race was fine, but Perez winning made it the best race of the season so far for me. So I am happy. And that wraps up our podcast reviewing the Monaco Grand Prix from controversies to Alonso doing what Alonso did. It really did have everything apart from overtakes. <laughs> but yeah, that that wraps it up. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, subscribe, comment down below what your thoughts were, who your driver of the day was. Our socials are linked down below. We will be back in two weeks for an Azerbaijan Grand Prix preview and fantasy show and review. So stay tuned for that and we'll see you in the next one.